American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History. If you like our podcast, help others find it by sharing the episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about a great scientist, one who played an indispensable role in discovering the structure of DNA. She was also a Dominican sister. Yes, Sister Miriam Michael Stimson a woman who blazed a trail into the male-dominated world of scientific research and who encouraged and trained dozens of other women to follow her lead. Sister Miriam Michael was born Marion Emma Stimson on Christmas Eve, December 24, 1913, in Chicago, Illinois, to devout Catholic parents. She was the third of their six children, and she was the eldest daughter. Her father was a salesman, and as such, he moved a lot. When Marion was still young, the family moved to Toledo, Ohio, where she attended school into high school. Her childhood had its tough spots. For one, there was a lot of illness all around her. One of her older brothers had two separate bouts with polio. Her younger sister, Alice Ruth, suffered from rheumatic fever, which left her with a weakened heart and compelled their parents to send her to a special school for the handicapped. And then when Marion was about 10, her mother gave birth to a set of twins. Due to their birth, her mother suffered eclampsia, which resulted in severe memory loss and a general loss of function. For quite some time, little Marion was the mother to her younger siblings with Alice Ruth's help. She taught them to read. She took care of them. She taught them how to do chores like the dishes, and she cared for them. It seemed that school was a place of refuge for her. She loved the life of learning and the release it gave her from her time at home, and she dove into it, especially science. In eighth grade, her science teacher, a Franciscan nun named Sister Agatha, inspired her with, quote, a desire to know more about God through investigations of the natural wonders of creation, unquote. Her parents were supportive of her studies and her further education, her mother, who had recovered sufficiently by this point to resume her motherly duties, was, after all, a schoolteacher. She was well-educated at a time when such a thing was just not a norm for women. In 1930, the Stimpsons enrolled both Marion and Alice Ruth in St. Joseph Academy, which was a boarding school for girls run by Dominican sisters in Adrian, Michigan. The Stimpsons felt that the secular school that Alice Ruth was attending was not a good environment for her. They wished her to go to a good Catholic school. So St. Joseph became the best option. And to accompany her and help look after her, they sent along Marion. Adrian is about 30 miles northwest of Toledo and about 70 miles west-southwest of Detroit. Marion went there to finish her last two years of high school studies while Alice was still in elementary grades. Marion was a very popular student and continued getting excellent grades, and since she was already accustomed to being an assertive leader, she was elected class president. In her senior year, she wrote her senior essay on a man whom we will talk about at some point, the World War I-era chaplain, Father William Doyle. She titled it A Present-Day Saint, and in it, she wrote of her own deep admiration for the religious life and about the attractiveness of leading a saintly life. Well, she would get another opportunity to learn how to die to self and trust God. One evening in 1931, Marion and Alice Ruth and a number of other girls spent their recreation time playing piano and dancing around. Marion noticed how high energy Alice Ruth was and quietly thought to herself that 
Alice might be overdoing it, considering her weak heart, but she said nothing. Then late that night, Alice Ruth's roommate was awakened by a gurgling noise coming from Alice Ruth's bed. It was the sound of Alice Ruth dying from heart failure. Before a doctor could help her, she was gone. Marion was devastated. Early the next morning, she had to call her parents and break the news. She could hardly tell them what had happened. She felt personally responsible, and she always felt the weight of her sister's death feeling that she didn't do enough to protect poor Alice Ruth. Marion turned her grief into motivation to do well in her studies. She graduated in 1932 and promptly enrolled in the college run by the same Dominican sisters, St. Joseph College. The following year, after much discernment, she decided to join the order and become a Dominican sister. After postulancy and the novitiate, she made first vows in 1935 and received the name Miriam Michael. In 1936, she graduated from St. Joseph College with her Bachelor of Science. Her first assignment from the Mother Superior was to go to Cincinnati and pursue a graduate degree in chemistry from the Institutum D.V. Tomei, and it was a perfect fit for her. The Institutum D.V. Tomei was established in 1935 by the Archbishop of Cincinnati, the Dominican John McNicholas, as a way to help Catholic scientists keep up with the communists. He once said to Dr. George Sperry Sperty, the scientist and academic whom he entrusted to run the Institutum, Someday the atheistic communists are going to be a force in the world and science will be their big tool. We must keep pace with them. And keep the name George Sperry Sperty in mind. He was a remarkable scientist in his own right and we'll probably do an episode on him. Yeah, he has an interesting raft of discoveries and inventions to his credit also. He was a devout Catholic and a brilliant scientist who was the main academic and organizational mover behind the Institutum, and he believed firmly that there was no conflict between scientific work and belief in God, but rather, scientific studies strengthened religion and the belief in a personal God through the investigation of the basic laws of nature. The trick was to interpret these findings in the light of divine revelation. So again, Sister Miriam Michael was in a perfect place. For herself, when considering the question of the crossover between science and faith, she wrote in 1938, quote, The fundamental mode of operation of light is outside the limitations which man might set by his formulations. It is objective. As in the solar spectrum, so too the fundamental laws of morality are outside the influence of time and custom. They are objective. And then about 60 years later, well after she made her amazing discoveries and taught generations of students, she was still able to say, my Catholic identity is how I see the world, and the world is dependent on God. But while the Institutum was perfect for her on these scores, it presented a wrinkle in another way. Sister Miriam had never had a male instructor or co-worker before. She'd had Franciscans and then Dominican sisters as teachers for her entire life, but now she was entering into the real world of science, and that world was almost entirely dominated by men. To be sure, the men at the Institutum were gracious to their students, who were religious women, but the fact is, the wider scientific community didn't know what to do with women scientists, let alone exceptionally capable ones. But any awkwardness that might have existed didn't stop the work. Much to Sister Miriam's delight, the work being done in the lab was on potential treatments for cancer. Yes, she had seen enough illness and cancers in friends and family that she was happy to join in on finding a cure for these terrible diseases. But the major problem they faced in this research was that they didn't yet understand what exactly caused cancer. 
Cancer, of course, is a rapid growth of cells in a way that upends the balance of the body and causes problems. We'll not get into all the details of the research, in part because it all would take a long time to do it justice, and in part because we'd be sure to mess it all up. But Sister Miriam was brought into this research and was given the task of using ultraviolet spectroscopy to study the chemical nature of biodynes. You follow? A bit, but I'm not going to be writing a paper on it anytime soon. Let's help our listeners understand better. Yeah, as, as best I can. Well, in my reading, what it boils down to is using ultraviolet and infrared light to look at molecules and compounds at the microscopic level and identifying what they are and how they're structured by observing how they absorb and reflect that light. As Sister Miriam described it, your eye studies the interactions between visible light and the chemical composition of, say, milk and water. From the differences in the way the two absorb and reflect light, you can tell which is milk and which is water. In the same way, we measure chemicals under infrared or ultraviolet light. We learn by plotting wavelengths what the chemical properties are. Right, and using these techniques, her research into biodynes was actually instrumental in developing the hemorrhoid ointment preparation age. Yes, bringing relief to millions of sufferers. <laughs> so yeah, she did lots of interesting things with DNA and RNA in yeast and plants and animals during her time in support of the research, and she earned her Master's of Science in 1939. That year, she returned to Adrian, Michigan, where she joined the faculty of her alma mater. But her alma mater had changed its name that year. Yes, St. Joseph's College changed its name to Siena Heights College in honor of St. Catherine of Siena and as a way to differentiate between it and St. Joseph Academy. And there at Siena Heights College, she dove into teaching, but not just teaching. She also intended to be a mentor to the girls who were coming to her for an education in the sciences. Absolutely. She knew the rigors of a life as a woman in the sciences. She knew that the scientific and medical communities were ambivalent at best, hostile at worst, to women. She wanted the girls to be absolutely excellent scientists so there could be no questioning their right to be in the lab, but also to be well aware that they would face opposition, even if not in obvious ways. She would tell students on the first day of class that if anyone signed up just to fulfill their science requirement, then they should withdraw. She also told freshmen that she was sure most of them would change their major by the end of the first semester. One student later wrote of her, quote, I remember her initially as a strong woman of great intellect with a somewhat forbidding demeanor. Many of the young student nuns in the chemistry department were somewhat in fear and awe of her. She was a no-nonsense woman who took her academic and religious life seriously. She guided her chemistry majors wisely and with a firm hand. Another student, one who eventually became a fellow Dominican, remembered she demanded serious and consistent effort from her students, but always extended herself in help and support as needed. There were many similar comments from her many students. She was feared and beloved, and her students, those who applied themselves and showed ability, excelled. In 1940, in addition to her teaching duties, Sister Miriam established a research laboratory at Siena Heights, which was associated with the Institutum Divi Tome. The idea was that she would continue the work she'd been doing while in her graduate program, and through it, earn her PhD. But a lack of funding and a lack of time to do fundraising made the research a catch-as-catch-can sort of thing. She wasn't able to devote half as much time to research as she had intended, but she was able to do some research in evenings and over weekends. 
She was able to secure a state-of-the-art spectrophotometer, and with it, she was able to advance her findings. She was one of the most advanced scientists in the use of this powerful tool. Eventually, through her work, she earned her doctorate, also through the Institutum. With her spectrophotometer, she made her most significant contribution to scientific discovery in the early 1950s. Yes. By this point, scientists had determined that DNA contributed to the structure and development of cells, but the exact nature of DNA was not yet understood. Until it was, scientists were unable to determine how DNA controlled things and how they could potentially manipulate DNA to affect diseases like cancers. The problem came because they couldn't see DNA clearly through the methods they were using to look at it. The simplest explanation I saw to explain what's happening here is this. In chemistry, atoms in a molecule are connected by different types of bonds, and those bonds vary according to the other atoms in the molecule, as well as what other molecules are nearby. Scientists can tell a whole lot about a molecule and its surroundings by looking at how the bonds bend and fold. But to do that well, the molecule in question must be isolated and must be observed on its own. This observation is what is done through the spectrophotometer. The process is spectroscopy. This is what we described above as being able to see the differences between milk and water. Right. Well, scientists up to this point had been using some sort of an oil base to prepare the DNA molecules for the spectroscopic observation, but the oil base included too much noise to really see the DNA molecule clearly. Sister Miriam's aha moment was when she determined that the compound potassium bromide was absolutely invisible to infrared spectroscopy. So if the DNA molecule were prepared in potassium bromide and then run through infrared spectroscopy, the only thing you'd be able to see would be the DNA molecule. And this was a game changer. With this discovery, scientists were able to determine that DNA is a double helix, the well-known twisted ladder-looking thing that has two spines which twist around each other and have a series of two-part rungs that connect them. Up to this point, the dominant theory was that the spine was the middle and the rungs extended out from it. Scientists had the whole thing inside out until Sister Miriam Michaels' discovery gave them the look they needed. And the rest was history. Sister Miriam's discovery contributed mightily to everything that came after, including mapping the genome, all manner of DNA research and medical treatments, everything. In 1953, she was the first woman ever to lecture at the University of Notre Dame and the second woman to be invited to lecture at the Sorbonne in Paris. Only Marie Curie back in 1906 had preceded her. In 1962, three scientists won the Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine for their work in discovering DNA. Sister Miriam was not included in that group, though their work would not have been possible without her discovery regarding potassium bromide. Sister Miriam Michael remained a teacher for many more years because forming young minds to be excellent scientists and capable, God-fearing people was of the utmost importance. She taught science at Siena Heights College and then at Kuka College in New York for 10 years from 1968 through 1978, and then returned to Siena Heights College. In her second stint at Siena Heights, she was Director of Graduate Studies overall. In this capacity, she actually helped to establish an addiction counseling program, and the research for that took her around the world, including to the Soviet Union. She retired from full-time academics in 1991, but certainly not from the life of the community. She was active in student life and in the intellectual life of the school well into her 80s. It was a sad day at Siena Heights in June 2002 when Sister Miriam Michael passed away. 
Sister Sharon Weber, the Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, said, The spirit of the Dominican search for truth was a very high value of hers, that in coming to know truth, we know more about God. And with a legacy of well-educated, well-prepared scientists, not to mention knowledge of DNA, which she made possible, we all know a bit more about God through the work of Sister Miriam Michael Stinson. You've been listening to American Catholic History on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. We also ask you to support the many productions of SQPN at sqpn.com give. To learn more about Sister Miriam Michael Stinson, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow StarQuest on Twitter at SQPN. I'm Noelle Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History on StarQuest.